From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. I declare war. Again, more often than not, the, the battle that we fight on a daily basis is, is in us, though we may ex, ex, you know, project it externally. And so we are de- we've been declaring war in this series because there's something powerful about taking that stance and says enough is enough, I'm done, I'm moving forward, I'm making the change, right? There's, there's power in that declaration. And this is based off of a series of talks and, and a book by an author and pastor, Levi Lesko. In there, he shares the story, and I've shared it the last couple weeks, of Teddy Roosevelt and the Battle of San Juan Hill in 1898. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt shares this time in his journal and during the battle he's crossing the battlefield literally crossing a barbed wire fence and and felt the 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 power of a wolf rise in him as he described it as he went all in on the battle he had determined in himself that I'm going all in enough is enough and I'm fighting this until the end and they said that from that moment on witnesses described that he fought differently. And so there's power when we declare enough is enough, I'm, I'm fighting this, I'm, I'm moving forward, and, and change is happening. And so we've been looking at a, a few things. First, we declared war on our thoughts, because as the scriptures say, you are what you think, right? You are what you think. Then last week, we looked at declaring war on what we say, and the scriptures tell us that there's, there's power of life and death in our tongue. Right, that we can build ourselves or build others up, or we can literally tear people down. We can change the change our quite literally who we are by what we what we uh, say. And I need to say this. So, if you were here last week, uh, I shared a story, very graphic story of carrots, and and vomiting, and I proceeded to mention my mom in that story and how we didn't have fresh vegetables. And I got a text message the next day from my mother being very motherly and saying, we had fresh carrots. And I said, I love you, Mom. And, and appreciate that she listens to the podcast. <laughs> but if this is just thoughts and words, then it can really just be good intentions. And so there's another step, and we're going to look at t- today, and that is declaring war on what we do. We declared war on what we think, we declare war on what we say, and today we're going to declare war on what we do. So in the name of Jesus, God, we ask that you open our minds, and you open our hearts, and you open our spirits to your truth, that you would speak, God, and I pray that as I share, that you would speak to every heart and to every mind, Lord, as only you can. Um, change us by your word, change us by truth, change us by your presence, so that when we leave these, these doors, when we leave this house today, we would actually, we, we would live out. What, what we're talking about. We would live out, God, declaring war on what we do. We'd, we'd be transformed in such a way, God, as to act like followers of Christ and to live like followers of Christ and not just say we are, or God, not just think about it in the name of Jesus. So be with us, touch us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at today, verses 5 through 11. I'm actually going to read it from the, the message version. Um, it says this, it says, you're sons of light and daughters of day. Now, let me just pause here. P- Paul, in this verse, is speaking specifically to followers of Jesus, right? That's important to know. And when, when he speaks of light and he speaks of day, those are actually representative of Jesus, right? He's not, you know, just to, you know, take away the, 
the, the, the nuances there, it's not actual light and it's not actual day, okay? We live under wide open skies and know where we stand, so let's not sleepwalk through life like those others do. So let's have, let's have mission, right? Let's have purpose. Let's keep our eyes open and smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Here's the key right here. Since we're creatures of day, let's act like it. Since we're creatures of day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, that means we've passed on. We're alive with him. So let me just call out that that one verse in verse 8 again. It says, since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. Can you just look at somebody and say, let's act like it. Act like it. Give them a little elbow. Say, start acting like it. Another version that you might remember says, since we belong to the day, let's be sober, putting on faith, love, and as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Does anybody remember being a kid? I, uh, I'm reliving what it means to be a kid by watching my kids grow up. Uh, it's actually quite helpful because as I watch them do things and, I, and those things drive me crazy and I feel like I'm going to go insane a little bit as a parent, I get a little download from the Holy Spirit, not even kidding you, that says, slow down, you were like that. And then I pause and I watch and I'm like, yeah, shoot. <laughs> I was like that. You guys, you remember that? Any parents here know that? You know, you watch your kids grow up and you get angry at the thing, you get frustrated, or you get, and it drives you nuts, and you're like, oh, wait a second, I was the exact same, right? I was the exact same. I'm quite literally watching my kids um, grow up, and I'm reliving my childhood through them. I was, uh, I was a kid that got in, in trouble a lot. Um, me and Jody have these conversations because we watch our sons do things, and she's like, oh, my goodness, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Actually, I go, oh my goodness, and then I'm like, wait a second, yes, Holy Spirit, you're right, that's me. But I, but I got in trouble a lot as a kid. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office or around the principal's office, and I don't always remember what for, but I distinguishly remember the types of punishment I had, you know, as a child in elementary school. I remember in Kedron Public School in Oshawa, Ontario, sitting in these very hard plastic chairs that I think were designed for punishment because they were so uncomfortable, during class time outside of my principal's office, right outside the door, like this was the spot where you had detention during class, during class. I remember what the hallway looked like. I, remember, I feel like I remember what it smelled like. I could drive there right, right now and go to that hallway and be like, this is the exact spot because it's like burned in my brain, right? I, I remember sitting in, in, in class during recess time writing out lines. Does anybody ever remember writing out lines? You know? How many of you are still writing out your lines because you never finished? You know? There's a trick to it you got to sneak a couple pencils in your pocket and then tape them together, and then you can quite literally do a few lines at a time. You're like, oh, man, I didn't know that. It's true. I, I will not call my teacher a you know, doo-doo head or whatever it is that you have to write out. You know? I, remember that. I, I remember getting in trouble so much that I learned that if I told my parents first that I would be in less trouble from them, than if they found out by the principal or the teacher. There was one instance where I got in trouble and I was sent to the principal's office and you know I don't remember what happened, but I distinctly remember instead of going back to class, I ran home. Because I was close enough, it was like, it was like a, maybe a seven minute walk 
finished maybe, you know, it's probably like a three-minute run for a kid who's just like terrified. I ran home and I quickly told my mom what had happened and then I went back to school because I'd be less trouble. And, and I feel like, I feel like my parents said this, this phrase and I don't, I don't specifically remember them saying it, but I find myself saying the same phrase to my kids now. And how many of you know that, that you realize that you start saying the things that your parents said to you and, you know, you're now saying it out to your kids? And, and it's this, we're Pattersons, we don't act like that. And I, I, I literally, I, I say that, those kinds of things to my boys. It just kind of comes out. They, they have some sort of behavior that, I, that I'm telling myself didn't come from me, and I'm believing it came from school. But I, but I say, I'm saying, we're Pattersons, and we don't act like that. And this scripture, when, what Paul's talking about in this scripture, is he's talking about since we're part of the family of God, since we're daughters and sons of the king, since Jesus is our Savior and Lord, there is a way to live and to act that is different from those who don't follow Jesus, right? There's, there's a different way to live and to act, and since we're part of that family, we need to act like it. Since we're part of that family, since we're alive in him, we need to act like it. Since you're sons of the light and daughters of the day, act like it. Because when you truly put your faith in Jesus, when you truly believe in Jesus, a change has occurred on the inside, and the Bible actually says that you are a new creation, that you have a new identity, you know, you've been reborn. A lot of Christians use the term born again. That's what we're talking about. There's a change. You're, you're, you're different than, than you were before. You are a new person, a new identity. And if, if we truly have faith in Jesus, if Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, if we've truly, that change has truly occurred, you know, our daily activity, our day-to-day -day activity should come from our new identity. It shouldn't come from our old identity. It should come from our new identity. Here it is. Your daily activity should come from your new identity. So what you choose to do today and what you choose to do tomorrow and what you choose to do with your minutes and what you choose to do with your hours and what you choose to do with your life, your day-to-day -day activity should come from that new identity. Since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. I'm going to give us a few different uh, points this morning, three different points that may be a little different than traditionally shared around this kind of a topic, but just, you know, stick with me. And then next week, um, hopefully we're going to look at the power that happens behind all this. We're getting there. Think, say, today's do, act, right? And next week we're going to talk about the power. So in order to live in a way that our daily activity comes from that new identity, we need to learn that we can't do that alone. We're better together. We're better together. So let me pull the wolf back into this. Jody and I watched this documentary this week uh, called Living with Wolves, and it was about this man who wanted to, who studied and documented um, wolves by living among them. And she, she proceeded to tell me last night, I go over my messages usually Saturday night, and she says, you know, you should just let me preach because you fell asleep during the documentary and I didn't. <laughs> And I said, sure, here you go. Um, no. And, but it's interesting when you, look at, when you look at a wolf, wolves are pack animals, right? They're, they're not lone creatures. They're family creatures. They're family animals. They say that a lone wolf is actually just a wolf searching for another wolf, right? And there's a, there's a lot of parallelisms I'm finding between a wolf and us and the wolf pack and the church. See, wolves, they stick together. They stick together. They do life together. They fight for each other. They defend each other, and they say that a, that a wolf is safe when he's in the pack, and a wolf is powerful when he's a part of a pack. But a lone wolf has no protection. 
A lone wolf is on its own to fight against the elements and to fight against um, other enemies that come along its way. A lone wolf um, doesn't survive as long as a wolf does in a pack. Rudyard, Rudyard uh, Kipling, the creator of Jungle Book, you remember the Disney movie Jungle Book? Yeah. He said this, he says, the strength of the pack is in the wolf and the strength of the wolf is in the pack. So a pack is nothing without a wolf and a wolf is nothing without the pack. So if you're going to live out your new identity, right, if you're going to act like a follower of Jesus declaring war on what you do, then you need a family to do it with. You need a family to, you need people in and around your life that are part of this family to learn from, to lean on, and to influence your behavior. And the Bible has a name for that family, and we talk about it called the church. The church. You can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. You can't, you can't act like Jesus alone. You can't battle sin by yourself. It's extremely difficult to live for and act like Jesus when you're not surrounding yourself with people who live for and act like Jesus. It's extremely difficult. So who are the closest people in your life? Who are the people that you surround yourself with? Who are the people that you spend the most time with? You've probably heard it said that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. The five people that, you, that are closest to you, you are the average of. Your actions come from. Your love for God can literally grow or diminish depending on who you spend time with. Your walk with God, your understanding, your journey can, can move forward or can derail depending on who you're around. You laugh at the same things that the people you're around. You, you speak the same way. You ever notice that? You start spending time with someone long enough, you start thinking like them and talking like them and liking the same things. Happens in relationships all the time, right? You become like those around you. So if our daily activities should come from our new identity in Christ, then we need to, to take a look at who we're doing life with. We need to take a look at who we're surrounding ourselves with. And just because somebody calls themselves a Christian and they walk into a church building doesn't mean they're people that you probably should surround yourself with. You gotta look at, are they followers of Jesus? Are they worshiping the same God? Some people find themselves in a church building but aren't worshiping God. The easiest way to change your actions is to change your friends. Do you know, this is why I keep pushing life groups. Well, I talk about life groups. That's why I, my desire is for us not just to be a church um, with life groups but to be a church of life groups because we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We're better together. And some of you are already gathering together, but, but a wolf that has a family has someone to fight alongside, has someone to lean on, has someone to help them move forward. The author of Hebrews in the Bible, in the New Testament, says this, don't give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't give up on meeting together. You're more likely to win the battle with sin if you intentionally gather with people who are part of the family of God. You're more likely to act like Jesus, to live for Jesus, if you're surrounding yourself with people who act and live for Jesus or are trying to or are attempting to move forward. right? Because iron sharpens iron. You push each other forward. A wolf needs the pack. A wolf needs a pack. A lone wolf doesn't survive. Now, there's another side to that coin is that the pack needs the wolf. The church, the people need you. Now, if you look at how a wolf pack is designed, there's a hierarchy and there's actually different roles within a wolf pack. 
Did you know that in a wolf pack, there is not one alpha, there's two alphas, a male and a female? And, they, and it's specifically said that, that the female, more often than not, is the glue that holds the, the pack together. So shout out to all you ladies, you have a significant role to play. Can I just say this as a side note? Do you know the first person entrusted with the gospel message was a woman? The first person that was trusted with the good news that Jesus Christ rose from the dead was Mary Magdalene, a woman, in a day and age when women were not highly valued, right? Paul, the apostle, when he sent his, his letter to the Roman church, the book of Romans, it's a letter to the church in Rome, he sent it with Phoebe, who was a woman. And it's, scholars would say that, that the person who delivered the letter was likely the person that, that's, that shared the letter, that spoke the letter. Underneath the alphas, there are the betas. Betas are like the lieutenants. They're like the second in charge. They keep the peace. They keep everyone in line. And then there's your, your mid and lower level wolves, right? And, and they're always fighting for higher positions. And lastly, there's the omega. The omega is like the lowest ranking wolf. The, the omega is often the last to eat, has to wait till every other wolf eats. The, the omega is usually the most submissive, least aggressive. All of the other wolves often exercise dominance over the omega, but the omega actually has a really important role to play. Um, it says that the omega wolf is like the, the one that boosts the morale of the group. He's like the, the silly guy. He's like the court gesture. He's the one that's always encouraging fun. And it's said that when the omega dies, although they're the last and the least, there's, there's an extended time of mourning that happens among wolves. Isn't that interesting? So in the pack... There's, there's, there's significant and different roles to play, and each has a function, and the pack needs the wolf, and the wolf needs the pack to play their role. And the same thing is with the church. The church is a, is a group of people that, that come together that have roles to play, and each of you have a role to play, and each of you have a part to play. You have a function, you have a gifting, you have ability that the church needs. Paul the Apostle talked about this. He says, we're like a, a body. The body is made up of many different parts, and every part has its function, and every part needs the other parts to function in their function, because when we don't function in our function, all the other parts suffer. I have a, a rotor cuff injury that's flaring up a lot lately, and if you don't know what a rotor cuff is, it's like this group of tendons and muscles that is really tiny in your shoulder that you don't really know is there until it's not working properly, and all of a sudden when it's not working properly, you can't move your shoulder the same way you used to, you can't lift your arm, and, and that's kind of like what happens in the church, right, is when one, when one part is not playing their part, the others suffer, right? All of a sudden, the arm can't do its job properly. All of a sudden, the shoulder can't do its job probably because the rotor cuff is injured because the rotor cuff isn't there. Shameless plug, we need people in this church. Like, just, let me just be very practical. We have gaps in this church where we need people to fill some gaps. We have a host team, which comprises of our greeters and our, and our cafe and our welcome desk and our ushers that, that need people. We need spots. We have people in a Parkway Kids, you know, in, in, in the preschool room, the nursery, the, the check-in hall monitors. Um, we, have, we have gaps that need to be filled there. We have, we have on, our, on our worship team, right, we have, we have gaps that need to be filled. And here's what happens. If, if the church doesn't fill these gaps, the other parts are going to pick up the slack, but they're going to do it as, like a, as an injured shoulder. It's, it's going to wear on them, and eventually Parkway Church will be crippled. And eventually Parkway Church won't be able to do what Parkway Church does, because the gaps aren't filled. So how, how, how cool would it be, you know, this is my, I'm just throwing out there, if by the end of the day we had some gaps filled. Right? Here's, here's what I got here. The church can't be the church without the church doing what the church needs to do. The church can't be the church 
without the church doing what the church needs to do. We can't. A wolf pack can't be a wolf pack without the pack doing the role and functioning in the role. A church can't be a church without the church being what the church needs it to do. It can't. I read this about wolves. Everything in a wolf's nature tells it to belong to something greater than itself, a pack. And that a wolf lays its life down for the pack. You belong to something greater, people. It's called the church. And let me just bring this back to Jesus, okay? You know what the Bible says about Jesus? It says that he loves the church and he laid his life down for the church. Jesus played his part. Are you playing your part? Are you playing your part? We're better together. And when we do life together and, we, and you come alongside the church, you begin to act more like your, your new identity. You begin to act and function more in your new identity. Second point is this, is we need to consider what, what I'm calling our posture. Our posture. Not like your shoulders back. You don't need to consider putting your shoulders back. You never thought about this, you know, if you... I, I feel like this would be very, like, arrogant just to walk around with my shoulders back all the time, Right? But we don't need to consider that kind of posture. If you look at a wolf, they say that you can tell a lot about a wolf by how it carries itself. That an alpha wolf or a wolf that looks like it may fight for the alpha role often carries itself with a sense of nobility, right? Their heads are, their heads are up, their ears are up, their tails are up. You know, on the flip side, the omega wolf or wolves that might lead themselves towards that kind of a role, um, their heads are usually down, their shoulders are down, their tails are down, they're more in a submissive kind of stance. And they say that you can tell really early on the, the destiny or the success of a wolf depending on how it carries itself, right? And when you look at a wolf, you can probably look at where they fit within, within their life and, and who they are. Now, now what about us? What does how we carry ourselves say about us? What does how we, how we hold ourselves say about, say about our, our, our where we're headed? I believe that we have a spiritual posture. I believe that we have a spiritual posture. And maybe you've seen this, right? You've seen this in someone who, who knows and loves Jesus, and there's something about how they carry themselves in that that draws you to them. But there's something about, about how they carry themselves or maybe how they act or how they live that says, that, that's, it does it for me where I'm like, man, I want to be a little bit more like that person. They have a spiritual posture. And I believe that you can nurture your spiritual posture by how you carry yourself. And let me just break this down a little bit, right? They say that, that the way you stand and where you place your arms reveals something about how you're feeling. There's been studies that have shown that if you, if you hold yourself in a, in a more timid position, a closed-off, timid position long enough that you can actually raise your cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone. And if you don't know, the experts say that, that stress impacts your body, that stress can actually increase or worsen things like, like sickness and diabetes and depression, and the list goes on. Quite literally, how you carry yourself impacts your, impacts your body. So, so what does it do to me spiritually? What does it do to me spiritually when I lift my hands and worship like the Bible says? You notice the Bible doesn't say, put your hands in your pocket to Jesus. Right. It says, lift up holy hands and worship. What, what does it do to me spiritually when I take on a posture of prayer? What does it do inside of me when I shout, as the scriptures say? The scriptures say things like, cry out, call out, shout. And then we as Canadians, we're like, hey. 
We're very Canadian in our church, right? And our church is. You know, the pastor or preacher, someone might compel us, come on, give them a shout of praise. And we're like, (laughs) woo. I highly doubt that you're going to stand before God and take on a posture that holds a coffee and a hand in one pocket and says, I love you, Lord. I highly doubt when you stand before God, you're going to take on a physical posture. And that posture, I'm going to guess, is either going to be one of excitement. Oh, my goodness. It's happening. I don't care who you are and how introverted you are. I'm super introverted, just so you know. Or you're going to take on a posture of humility and gets low to the ground and starts sucking carpet because you're so afraid that you're standing before an almighty God who is majestic and powerful and to be feared and revered. I highly doubt you're going to be like, oh, hey, God. What happens in us spiritually when we take on those postures in those places? What happens to us on the inside when we, when we nurture our soul by acting outside of what we feel like doing? I may not feel like worshiping, but I'm going to lift up my hands or I'm going to worship because I want to nurture my soul a little bit. I may not feel like praying, but I'm going to take on a posture of prayer and I'm going to pray because I want to nurture my soul. I may not feel like serving. I'm busy. I don't got time to serve. I got kids. I got work, projects. You know, I'm working late nights. I may not feel like serving, but I'm going to serve anyway because I want to nurture my soul. I may not feel like being kind because I've had a long day and I know my neighbor needs help, but I don't really feel like being kind. But I mean, I'm going to do it anyway because I want to nurture my soul. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like being generous. But I'm going to do it because I'm going to teach my soul something. I can take on a, a different kind of posture. You can nurture your inward nature by externally practicing disciplines like that. You know, they say that when you stand in an Olympian kind of pose, either like with your hands on your sides or your hands up like a yeah, you actually raise testosterone levels in your body, right? You raise testosterone levels in your body, and do you know what that does? That makes someone feel strong. So if we can do that to us on a biological level, what happens on a spiritual level when we do things that we don't feel like doing? I may not feel like it, but I'm doing it because I'm a creature of the day. Since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. So we're dressing up, right? It goes on to say, he says, walk out in the daylight sober, dressed up, dressed up in faith and love and the hope of salvation. So we're dressing up, we're putting it on. I don't feel like it, but I'm putting it on to nurture my soul. There's something freeing about a body language of power even when you don't feel like it. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 says this, therefore as God's chosen people, or he's talking to, to followers of Jesus, holy and dearly loved. God loves you. You're holy in Jesus. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves. Right? He doesn't say if you feel like it, if you're in the mood, be, be patient and be compassionate and kind and humble. He says put it on. You notice the Bible never tells us what to feel, right? It tells us what to do. Have you ever noticed that when you read the Bible? It doesn't tell us how to feel. Tells us what to do. Tells us how to act. Don't do what you feel is the message. Do what is right. 
You know, we're a society that just does what we feel, and we're, and we're taught that, and we're presented that, and that's seen as truth, but we are not of this world, right? We're creatures of the day. Act like it. Put on the stuff you don't feel like putting on. Put on some love, right? Put on some humility. Put on some gentleness. Stop shouting, Pastor Cobb. Put on some quiet preaching. Put it on, even though you don't feel like it. C.S. Lewis said this, he says, very often the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you already had it. You want that quality, start behaving like you already have it and it will come. Your daily activity should come from your new identity so we nurture that new identity. And lastly, if we're gonna do that, we need to warm up. We need to warm up. Most people know this, that before you exercise, you need to warm up, right? You need to stretch out. You need to get the blood pumping. You need to get the ligaments moving a little bit because if you don't, you're more likely to get injured or you're less likely to perform your best. I, I, I hated warming up. I still hate warming up. I, I feel like it's a waste of time. I'm like this seven minutes or 10 minutes of doing this is a waste of my time. But that's most likely when I was a kid how I got this rotator cuff injury because I didn't do that. But if, but if you do that, it, it, it prepares you for the exercises, you know, I, I mentioned last week about the wolf howl. Wolves howl in excitement to, to rally themselves before they go on to a hunt. It gets them in the mode, right? If, if a wolf or if a pack of wolves howl before they go for the hunt, and if we need to warm up before we physically exercise, why don't we warm up our soul? Right? Why don't, why don't we warm up our soul before we head into the office? Why don't we warm up our heart before we clock into work? Why, why don't we warm up in prayer before we go into that meeting? We'll shower, right? Brush our teeth. We might make sure we look good. But are our hearts ready for it? Why, why don't we warm up before we make that phone call? Why? Why don't we consider what's happening in our soul and in our heart before we do anything else? Why wouldn't we take time to ground ourselves with a scripture? Or just listen to a worship song, right? Get us in the right place. Speak some truth over ourselves. Maybe reflect on positivity. Maybe to pray. And this looks different for everyone, right? It might be different for you. Some of you may be song-driven people, right? You're musically driven, so getting, getting the right kind of music in you warms you up. Some of you may, may you maybe need people around you. You gotta make the right phone call, the right person, and say, hey, encourage me, help me. I'm like that, I'm like the meditative, reflective kind. I just want silence. I wanna be alone in my brain with God. That's what I need to warm myself up. We need to warm up our souls before we do anything else. We need to warm up before the stress-filled day starts. One of my favorite verses about Jesus, and it's probably one that's challenged me the most in my life, or at least I keep coming back to it. It's in Mark chapter one. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And when I think about the ministry of Jesus, and I think about the life of Jesus when he walked on the earth, his days were crowded with people, they were busy. Right? He, was, he was preaching a lot and he was healing a lot and he was ministering, he was, he was doing all these things. What if this was the warm-up? Like I started thinking about that. What if, 
what if Jesus in his humanity needed to get alone before he went on on his day to be with God, to warm up his soul and his heart for everything that he was gonna face? And you're not Jesus, but we're made in his image. We're called to be like him. We're creatures of the day. If our daily activity should come from our new identity, then I think we need to warm up because our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak, right? We want to be more like Christ. We want to live for Jesus in all aspects, but our flesh, our feelings don't. (laughs) I just don't feel like going to the worship night tonight because I'm tired, it's been a long day. I just don't feel like going and gathering a prayer on Wednesday night because it's been a day. I gotta drive all the way there, all the way back. Yeah, we don't feel like it, but how should we act? Maybe when we act like it, something will happen in us and something will happen around us and something will happen in those places like our work, in our homes, in our schools because we've acted outside of what we feel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. In a moment, I'm gonna pray Um, But if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand in this moment if you can. I just want you to stand to your feet. We're better together. Let me sum it up. We're better together. You need people around you that are doing this. You need people around you that are doing this, and we need you. The church needs you. You need to consider your posture and what is how you're carrying yourself, what is how you're acting in moments of worship and prayer doing to you spiritually. And then we we need to warm up Now again, here it is. You can't do this if you keep doing what you feel like doing. You can't do this if you keep doing what you feel like doing. And I love how this scripture talks because because he's called us to act not according to what we feel. He's called us to act according to who Jesus is, according to who we belong to. He doesn't say, "Since since you feel like it, act like Jesus. He says, since you belong to Jesus, act like it. Michael Phelps is one of the most decorated Olympians of all time. He has a total of 28 medals, 23 of which are gold medals. 23 are gold medals. And what separated Michael Phelps from all the other swimmers? Other than they say that his body was like designed for a pool, the way his arm span is and his feet are, he's literally a fish. But his coach said this, his his coach said this, Bob Bowen, he said, one thing that separates Michael from all other swimmers is that if they don't feel good, they don't swim good. But that's not the way it was for Michael. Michael performed no matter what he was feeling. He practiced it for a long time. So he swam good even when he didn't feel good. Right, he swam good. And because, because his actions were not based off of what he felt in that moment, but who he was becoming. So what is what does that mean for us? You know, Jesus, do you think Jesus and his humanity when he went to the cross felt like it? Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross and dying? Do you think he felt like suffering? Do you think he felt like being flogged, having, you know, a crown of nails being shoved through his skull, whipped, beaten, humiliated? He didn't. I'll tell you why. Because in the garden beforehand when he was praying, when he was, he was warming up again, did you catch that? He's warming up before he went to the cross. He asked the Father to take the cup from him. In Jesus' humanity, he said, can you take this? If you can take this from me. But he didn't do it on based on what he felt because then he said, but not my will be done but yours. So Jesus chose in that moment to not allow his feelings to dictate him. But what he needed to do 
And the same is true for us. Since we belong to the day, we need to act like it. If we're to declare war on ourselves and see ourselves move forward, we need to declare a war on what we do and act according to our new identity and not what we feel. And let me just be straight. There'll be those of us that do that and those of us that don't. There'll be those of us that this lesson takes a really long time to learn. And we go up and down and that's okay. Hey, listen, you know the good thing about, about God? He's a good father and there's no condemnation. And he just wants you home. He wants you with him. He wants the best for you, but he knows you're on a journey. But I think those that actually put this kind of stuff into practice, they'll be the ones that really move forward in the faith. They'll be the ones that see the breakthrough. They'll be the ones that see the change. They'll, they'll be the ones that workplaces seem different, that their financial position seems different because they acted according to their new identity. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I think, I think there's a lot of us that need prayer in this area. So if that's you today, you're like, man, this is really speaking to me and I really need prayer when it comes like acting like Jesus and living for Jesus. I really need prayer when it comes, when it comes to, to my actions and what I do. Could you pray for me? If that's you today, I'm raising my hand. If that's you today, could you just raise your hand? You're acknowledging that you need help. you need help. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hands. Father God, you see every hand and you know every heart and you know every person. And I pray, Father God, that you would give us the strength. You'd give us the declaration. You'd give us the drive. You'd give us the, the, the passion, Father God, to act not according to what we feel, but according to what is right, to act, Lord, according to our new identity in you. As Paul said, let us put off the old self. Let us put off the old way of doing things and live according to that new nature in us, God. So give, give us strength, God. You saw every hand, God. You saw every person that says, I need some help. God, would you help us? Help us to, to be imitators of you. Help us, help us when we walk out of this place, when we're in the, in the dark places where it's really hard in our homes. Some of us have homes where it's really hard to live for you. Some of us have, have, a, have a job where it's really hard to live for you. Some of us have friends. When we gather with those friends, it's really hard to live for you. Help us in those moments to be like you. In Jesus' name, give us strength. Just with every head, eye, or every head bowed and every eye closed, um, I wonder if somebody's here today, and you know this is all a really nice talk unless you don't belong to the family unless you don't belong to the pack. And so if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I'd like to give my life to Jesus for the first time. Nobody's looking around, every head's bowed. You know, you're like, I'm here and you know what, I'd like to become a part of God's family. I'd like, to, I'd like Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior. That's you today. Could you just raise your hand and I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna, we're gonna pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Could, we, could everyone just join me in this prayer? Let's just help these few people out. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need help. Come into my life, forgive my sin, and help me to live for you. Be my Lord, be my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, I say this every time. Look up at me. Yeah, celebrate. Let's celebrate because the Bible says, the Bible says that there is more celebration that happens in heaven over one person that gives their life, that one, one person that was lost and comes back to the family. There's more celebration. You know, the greatest miracle 
Like we pray for miracles in this church all the time, right? We pray for people to be healed and we pray for deliverances and we pray for breakthrough, the greatest miracle is salvation. Because salvation tells this church that even though we may suffer in this life, on this side, that one day we will stand before God and he will wipe away every tear and the pain will be no more and the suffering will be no more and that is the hope of salvation. It's the greatest miracle. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.